Branding BFF is a member of the Queen City Podcast Network, powered by Ortho Carolina. Find out more at queencitypodcastnetwork.com. Welcome to Branding BFF, a podcast for service businesses, creative professionals, consultants, and coaches. I'm your host, Lisa Spear. I'll be having behind-the-scenes conversations with entrepreneurs and brand creators so you can gain insights and inspiration to apply to your brand and business. Please note, these are uncensored conversations with guests, so there's a chance they'll be adult language. This podcast is brought to you by Spearhead Solutions, a strategic branding business. Are you working too hard to get clients? Ready to have your brand start doing some work for you? Get your free guide now. Download four key ingredients of brand attraction at spearheadsolutions.com. Spear is with two E's and the link is in the show notes. Today's topic is legally protecting your brand, and I've invited Karen Boardman to join me. She's an attorney with Sellers, Ayers, Dorch, and Lyons, a law firm here in Charlotte. I picked Karen for this conversation because she advises both emerging and established businesses in protecting their intellectual property, so she's the perfect person to turn to for this conversation. Also, I'd hired someone else for trademark registration for my Branding BFF podcast and services before I met Karen. Things weren't going so smoothly, so I turned to her for some objective perspective on what I should do. Her expertise became quickly apparent. And third, as a small business owner, we often don't know what we don't know. So I wanted to make sure and cover this topic and this angle when we're thinking about branding. Welcome, Karen. Thanks, Lisa. I'm glad to be here. So I'm so glad to have you here to talk about benefits of legally protecting your brand. And I know you're going to have to have a little disclaimer before we jump in. So why don't we talk about that real quick? Absolutely. So as an attorney, I have to start out by saying that all of my statements here are for informational purposes only, and they do not constitute legal advice, nor does this podcast create any attorney-client privilege between myself and anyone listening to it. Excellent. Well, I'm glad we got that out of the way because we know that's actually really important. It is. (laughs) Okay, so to be able to talk about the benefits of legally protecting your brand, we need to get on the same page with some terminology. And the point here today is not to go deep into jargon, but just to use some familiar terms that you might have heard of before, but to actually explain what they mean before we dive into the topic. So let's start with a few key terms. What is intellectual property? Intellectual property is a broader term for all intangible rights, and these can be personal or business. It's anything that can be created, invented, or innovated, and it's a term that encompasses terms that you may have heard like patents, trademarks, copyrights, and trade secrets. Okay, so those are some great terms. So why don't you share a little bit about each of those? Right. So trademarks are known as an identifier to indicate the source of particular goods or services. You would know trademarks as a business name, a logo, a slogan, a graphic design, anything that you can point to and say, I associate that with this business, this good, this service. So like we've heard about the Tiffany blue, that color, is that something that they trademarked? They did actually trademark it. Uh, It's not very often that a color gets trademarked, but Tiffany blue is trademarked. Uh, Christian Louboutin red is also Mm -hmm. trademarked. Occasionally you can trademark a sound. 
uh, which is very, very unusual. You can also trademark a design shape. So, for example, Coca-Cola has a very distinctive bottle shape for their bottles, and they have trademark registered that as well. Okay. And so today, since we're talking about service businesses, some of the key things we're really talking about here with the trademark is your business name. And what would be some of the other most common things people would be trademarking if they're a small business, service business? They would also trademark their logo or slogan, perhaps. It depends on where the business is and what their needs are in terms of what they're looking to protect. Sure. Okay, so we got a little bit of basics around trademarking. We'll go a little deeper in this, particularly with the business name, in just a little bit. So talk to me about copyrights. Copyrights are anything that is an original creative work that is fixed in a tangible medium of expression. And I know that's a legal jargon, but you know copyrights as a book, anything that's written. So a book, a poem, a story, a play. A song, both lyrics and music, can be copyrighted separately. A drawing, website content, photographs, films, all of these are things that can be protected by copyright. Yeah, so I see a lot of times with websites, myself included, I'll have copyright at the bottom of my website. That's right. If I'll have like a free offer, free guide, like my brand attraction guide, I put copyright at the bottom of that. All Um, good processes. Yeah, so what else... So what are the, some of the most common ways that a small business would be thinking about copyrights? It depends on the type of business, of course. I work with a lot of photographers, so it's very important for them to have copyright protection for their photographs. Um, I also work with other creative businesses in protecting books, songs, poems, uh, illustrations. Mm-hmm. Those are all the types of things that get uh, protected by copyright most commonly. Okay. And then talk to us about patents. Does that apply to, to service businesses? Not very often. So a patent is a new or useful machine or method or an ornamental design of a product. Most of the things that you would see patented are specialized technology, like the processes that go into what is behind the scenes of your computer. Or um, we're talking right now into a microphone. I'm sure however the microphone itself was designed and created has a patent behind it. So for service businesses that deal more with processes or uh, methods of doing something, that's not often something that can be protected by patent Because a patent has to be a completely new and unique way of doing something. So that might lead us then to the trade secrets. So talk to me about that because maybe that's more applicable for us. Absolutely. Trade secrets are not something that you register because you want to retain their secrecy. It can be any type of data or information, method or process that you keep completely confidential If you have a way of doing something that nobody else does, you can protect it by trade secret by making sure that you keep it confidential in every possible way. Right. So there's a lot of things as we're thinking about content marketing that you are just putting out into the world and 
we could talk about how you're protected in those cases, but that would not be your trade secrets. So for example, for my business, I have a method of defining a brand personality that's really unique. I don't know anyone else that's doing it. And it's actually about how your brand personality is interacting with your clients. So would that be something that we would call a trade secret if I have never seen anybody else doing it the way I'm doing it? It could be a trade secret. Um, Trade secrets don't necessarily have to be completely unique. They just have to remain confidential to you. Right. And you have to put protections in place to ensure that it remains confidential to you. Something else that could be a trade secret would be a client list or a vendor list. If you keep those very close to the vest or if you have an employee who leaves your employment, you want to make sure that you protect those contacts and clients from the former employee taking them with you with them rather that's a way that you can that's that's something that you could protect through trade secret as i said you don't register it because of course you don't want to put it on any database where it would become public so the protection is a little bit different if you feel that someone has infringed your trade secret you actually have to sue for infringement and go after them to get to recover what you can. So it sounds like there's a lot of things that are more important on the proactive side. So you don't have to react and sue somebody. Absolutely. It is always better to be (laughs) on the proactive side of intellectual property. Okay, so now we have the lay of the land of what these terms mean. And I think it's useful now to kind of get a sense of, okay, what are the things that are automatically protected? And what are the things that you have to register? so that you're protected? And then why would someone want to do that? What's the benefit of registering stuff? Absolutely. Copyrights are the first and foremost that are automatically protected as soon as they are fixed. So as soon as you hit live on your website, or as soon as you snap the photograph on your camera, you have copyright rights in that item as it exists in that moment. Okay. You do not have to do anything to register in order to have those copyright rights. However, if someone infringes it and you want to go after them for damages, i.e. money, for having infringed it, you have to take the additional step of registering that copyright with the U.S. Copyright Office. So the benefit of registering means that you can get monetary damages if someone else uses your copyrighted material without your permission. Okay, and you've mentioned books before. There's obviously been instances where photographs have been duplicated. People have had lifted copy off of someone else's website or email newsletter. So those would all be cases where you would might want to go after somebody who's it, infringing. Exactly. And you can actually register after someone has already infringed and if you want to jump that hurdle of registration in order to bring a lawsuit. However, your damages may be limited if you do the registration after the infringement has occurred. So my guess is you or any other attorney is part of your role is to try to figure out what the level of risk is in not registering something. Exactly. Like the cost of registration for a copyright is pretty inexpensive. The actual fee that goes to the U.S. Copyright Office is only $50 or $60. Um, Of course, if you're doing a whole slew of things, that $50 or $60 a piece can add up quickly. 
But in the big scope of things, it's a pretty inexpensive fee. If you have to get an attorney involved to help you with the application, there's an additional fee to that. But again, it's one of the least expensive ways to protect your intellectual property and you have that in your pocket should you have to go after somebody later. Okay, well, that's great. So now let's talk about trademarks. Trademarks include certain rights as soon as you start using that mark out in the world to offer your products or services for sale. So, for example, you put your sign on your office building, you hit live on your website, and it's got your name on it, and you're offering your services you have what are called common law trademark rights. Now, you can actually go after someone for common law trademark infringement without having had a registration, but you're limited in the monetary damages that you can get, and you're also limited in the scope of people that you can go after for infringement. For example, it has to be someone who is geographically close to you. So if you are here in Charlotte, North Carolina, you might be able to go after someone who's in Raleigh, but you wouldn't be able to go after someone who's in Washington, D.C. Right. And so, for example, with my podcast name and and the branding BFF services I have, I went ahead and registered the trademark because I knew it was going to be distributed across the country, actually across the world. (laughs) Exactly. So trademark registration with the United States Patent and Trademark Office allows you that protection against anyone who might try to use the mark anywhere in the country. Uh, If you want to protect it internationally, you would have to get international trademark rights. But generally, for most of the people that I'm working with, uh, domestic federal trademark rights are sufficient. Again, you have to have the registration in order to go after people who are infringing who are outside of your geographic zone. Right. And so for me, like I made a calculated decision because I'm like, well, BFF doesn't probably mean the same thing in other countries. Right. It's it's just an American term and an American acronym. So for me, I felt pretty safe not worrying about it internationally. Exactly. And in terms of what to protect, if I'm talking to a small business owner, I generally recommend protecting the name of their business or the name of the product or service first without any thought as to font, color, graphics, logos, etc., because all of your branding and all of your marketing stems from your trademark. And then down the road, we can look at your logo. We can look at protecting the stylized version of your name. But those types of things tend to change as a business grows. And you want to get the name first, because that is the most important recognizable thing about your brand. And especially in the beginning, if people are have some concerns around budgetary constraints, things like that, it's the thing that gets the most bang for the buck. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. I often have clients who say to me, but I spent all this time putting this logo together. And I said, Do you know how many times five years down the road I see small businesses who are not using the logo they used at the beginning? Simply because trends change, graphics change, the scope of your business may change. That logo doesn't necessarily fit what you're doing five or ten years down the road. And one of the things I see is usually in the first – sometimes in the first couple years of business – People are doing it on the cheap. And so it doesn't actually, two or three years into business, maybe it doesn't 
adequately reflect the quality of their service because maybe they went with a, a lower price point or maybe they had their friend design their logo. Exactly. And so that it actually doesn't match who they are as a business a couple years in. And so that's where you know, they've needed to evolve their, their logo or the, uh, the quality of their logo. And so, yeah, that might be a little bit too soon to do a trademark protection. <laughs> right. And it may not, you know, a couple years down the road, it may not necessarily be a full rebrand. You're more likely to keep the name and change the fonts, the graphics, the logo, the colors, as opposed to rebranding and changing absolutely everything. That is less frequent than... Yeah just changing the look and feel. And the other thing I see is often the tagline is the thing that evolves and changes, right? So the name is staying the same, but and maybe even the look feel is staying the same, but the tagline can change because that helps describe your business or your services. Right, which is also why I don't necessarily recommend to my clients to register their slogan or their tagline initially, again, if we're being cost conscious, because that's something that is likely to evolve. Yeah. Well, then in terms of trade secrets, can we go back to that just for a second? Because is there anything that we could do to protect ourselves? Because we know that that's not a registered thing. Like, is there a way to, with your clients, let's say, for example, like, say I'm doing some work for someone else who's in my industry, and I'm doing strategy for a branding company. Um, maybe they don't offer strategy, but I'm doing strategy for them. How would I protect myself against them taking my trade secrets and using it with their clients? The best thing to do first and foremost is to have a confidentiality and non-disclosure agreement. People also know this as an NDA. If you have someone sign that ahead of time, regardless of what you tell them, show them, or have them take home with them, you are protecting your trade secrets because you have taken that proactive step of having them acknowledge that you keep this information confidential. Mm -hmm. The other thing is to not necessarily let them into all of the nuts and bolts and see really how the process works. You can show them the end result, the work product, without showing them how you got there. Right. And in my case, I'm just using me as an example, um, that part of it is there's a process that they would be going through. <laughs> right. So it sounds like the NDA is like the best protection. And then for other people, maybe they're never working with their competitors. Uh, let's just say a photographer, for example, um, if there was something about the way they did the shoot or the way they um, provided the photos, um, like and you feel like there's a trade secret there. In many cases, they're not going to need to ask their clients to sign an NDA if they're having their photo taken. Is there anything that they should be thinking about? They should think about how they let in other people, not necessarily their clients, but maybe employees, independent contractors, vendors. For example, a lot of photographers that I work with are wedding photographers, and they end up seeing the same caterers, videographers, DJs, event planners, etc. at the weddings over and over and over again. The way that they can protect themselves is to ensure that those people either have signed an NDA or they don't let them in behind the scenes to see how they're doing what they're Got doing. It. So really, we're more thinking about trade secrets. It's just like what's behind the scenes? What the st- what's the stuff that you really want to make sure that doesn't get lifted? And then 
if you're concerned, that would be a case of, again, asking an attorney, like, okay, where are my risk areas? Where are my protection areas? And what's the benefit of, you know, putting some of these little things in place that could actually save you in the long haul? Right. There's other things that you can do sort of on the backside, like keeping your files securely behind a firewall or on a protected server, Um, If you have employees or independent contractors who are working for you, not just having them sign NDAs, but having very carefully crafted employment or independent contractor agreements in place and ensuring that they're not able to copy files or transfer them to a separate drive that is not your secure server. Those are the types of things that you can put in place. Who has access to what? Exactly. (laughs) So I think in all of this, then, uh, we really are looking at the benefits, right? Because we want to know, why is it important for us to do this stuff? You know, we're we're putting our money on the line. Uh, We're trying to be more proactive. We're trying to be more intentional. Like, what are some of the benefits of paying attention from the beginning versus waiting till later? One of the biggest benefits is ensuring that what you're doing is not infringing anyone else's intellectual property. So if someone has already gone out there and registered a trademark, you want to be sure that you're not going to come along and try to register a trademark behind them. Or even if you're not at the point where you're ready to register, you don't want to start using their mark unintentionally. So if you are taking the affirmative steps at the beginning to confirm that your brand is in fact yours, that will save you in the long run. Because if you are in fact infringing someone else's trademark or other intellectual property, it can be expensive and time consuming to have to fix and undo and redo. For example, if you don't search out your trademark at the time that you start your business and you just start using it, It could be five or 10 or more years down the road, and then all of a sudden you get a letter in the mail that says, hey, you're infringing our brand. Imagine the expense and the time involved to completely rebrand or the expense of going through litigation to fight them for it. Right. It's all, the benefit is saving yourself the money and the time and the stress and the tears yeah. down the road. So that's really a good case of I know that there's you know a website that you can check that the government has, but also that's again where when we don't know what we don't know, like when I went to trademark register branding BFF, like I knew that by my search I thought it was good, but I also knew there was probably ways of looking at it from the legal side that I would need to have somebody else help me just to make rock solid sure that I was not going to be in the danger zone. Exactly. So trademark registrability is something that you really need to consult with an experienced attorney. Just checking the trademark office public database is not going to be an indicator of whether or not you have the ability to use that brand. I do always encourage my clients to first at least do a search on Google and social media just to see what's out there because I can't tell you the number of times that a client has come and paid me to (laughs) do a full-blown trademark clearance search and I find something on page one of Google. Wow. 
it's and I I feel badly charging them for it because I didn't do any work. Yeah. They should have done that basic search. It's not to say that they're going to find everything. It's not to say that I'm not going to find something that is also problematic if I do a deeper dive. But page one of Google should yeah. be step one. Well, and there's that, but then there's the usage. And then there's the actually, what are the business names that are easily trademarked and which ones are challenging to trademark? So can we talk a little bit about when we're thinking about naming our business, what are the easiest name style of names to trademark and which ones are hard? So what the trademark office looks to as its touchstone is the likelihood of confusion factor. Whether the average consumer would be confused as to the source of the same or similar goods or services. So an example I like to use is Firestone. Obviously, that's a well-known name of a tire manufacturer. Mm -hmm. When I say similar goods or services, someone could come along and open up a Firestone coffee shop. There would not be a likelihood of confusion there because no consumer is going to presume that Firestone Coffee Shop has any affiliation with a tire manufacturer. Right. <laughs> On the other hand, if someone were to try to open Firestone Body Shop, that would be problematic because even though Firestone Tires does not actually perform body shop services, it is an automotive service that could be confusing. And the average consumer could think that Firestone Body Shop is somehow affiliated with the tire manufacturer. So what you want to do is find a term that is not used for goods that are the same or similar to what you are offering. And it could be goods or services. Like I said, tires are a good, a product, but Body Shop is a service, right. but they're both in the automotive industry. So even though they're not even the same, they're not even the same goods or services, they're similar enough that it would cause consumer confusion. That's a great example. Thanks. Um, what you want to do is to find the most unique way to say what you're trying to say. There is a spectrum of trademark terms and the more unique you have, the better, the more likely it is that you will be able to protect it under registration. So we start out with fanciful terms, which are made up words. For example, Xerox. Xerox was not a real word. Obviously, it's a very famous trademark now for photocopying. Or you can use an arbitrary term, which is an existing word, but it has a different meaning from what you are using it for. For example, Apple for computers. An apple is a thing that exists in the world, but it's a fruit, <laughs> not a computer. Right. Those are the most likely to be protected. Going from there, you're less likely to be protected if you use a term that is suggestive. So a suggestive term would be where it sort of evokes what you're trying to say without coming right out and saying it. So for example, chicken of the sea for tuna fish. People, I guess, have described tuna as the chicken of the sea, but it's not actually coming out and saying tuna fish. Right. <laughs> Going further down the list, 
Uh, descriptive terms are exactly what they sound like. It's one that describes the goods or services or includes a term in the trademark that describes the goods or services. So for example, Doubleday Publishing is a book publisher. It includes the word publishing, which is descriptive of what they do. There is less protection available during the first five years. After that, you may be able to apply for greater protection because you've established continuous and exclusive use, which associates the term in the minds of consumers to be your brand. On the other hand, you may also have to disclaim certain terms, which just means you get the trademark on the phrase as a whole, and you don't have any exclusive rights to a particular part of the term. So the example that I just used, Doubleday Publishing, obviously it's a well-known publisher now, but if they were a brand new mark being applied for, they would probably have to disclaim the word publishing because that's descriptive. So if anyone, their business name is such and such creative or such and such consulting or such and such coaching or such and such photography, that's the example of what you mean. Like the publishing, the photography, the consulting, the creative, all of that is a category. (laughs) Exactly. So you would have to disclaim it. You would still get your trademark that says such and such photography, Yeah. but it would have a disclaimer that says that you do not have the exclusive right to the word photography to the exclusion of others. Yeah. Obviously other photographers want to be able to describe their business as (laughs) such and such photography. And what about founders? Like if you're thinking about a founder name, because a lot of times when people, um, maybe they haven't thought about the time or the money it might take to come up with a unique business name. Sometimes people just want to get started, see if there's a market for what they do. And so they use their name as part of the business name. Sometimes uh, names, especially surnames, can be included in a mark uh, and get protection. It depends that it depends on what else is in the mark it depends on how descriptive it is, and it also depends on how common the name is. So if you have a very unique name, you may get away with it. But if you have a name like Smith, you're yeah. not going to get away with it because then literally everybody would try to be Smith Photography. Yeah. And there would be hundreds of them, and there would be absolutely no way for a consumer to distinguish, again, go back to that likelihood of confusion question. But if you have a very unique name, that could be something. It could also be that if you are already famous, obviously, people who are opening small businesses generally are not already (laughs) famous, but someone who is already famous or well-known or even well-regarded in their own field, they may not be well-known to the general public, but maybe in their own field, they would they might be able to qualify for trademark protection because their name has become associated with them as they are the brand, essentially. Right. Well, that's super helpful because I know that's always something that people are thinking about at a certain point in their business, and oftentimes it's later on. So that's why we're wanting to be proactive today and give people some tips and tricks and ideas that they can be thinking about, especially if they're a new business. Exactly. And then the the last type of mark that is never ever eligible for protection is something that is generic. So obviously the word milk, you're not (laughs) going to go get a trademark registration for that because then nobody who makes milk would ever be able to use it again. 
what happens if a domain name you want is actually are, someone's already got it, but you know that your your attorney is like, no, I think you can get a trademark for this business name. It depends on how the person who is holding that domain name is using that domain name. If they are actually using it for their own branding purposes, so they're using it as a source identifier, um, you probably can't do anything about preventing them from using it. It could be that they are using it for a good or service that is completely different from yours. And so your attorney doesn't think that it's a problem because it's a completely different service. So you're not going to have that likelihood of confusion with respect to trademark registrability. That domain name just exists out there and you're just going to have to get a different one in order to brand yourself. If someone is holding a domain name not using it and has no plans to use it, that person may be a cyber squatter, which means that they are trying to extort money for you to buy the trademark from them at an exorbitant price. Thousands of dollars. Exactly. (laughs) I have seen this so many times. Um, What you can do is once you have filed your trademark application, you or your attorney can send a cease and desist letter to the cyber squatter and demand that they transfer ownership of the domain name to you. That's amazing. So you don't even have to have the trademark registration yet. Correct. Oftentimes you can just get them to do it based on the fact that you filed an application because these people are bullies and they're just looking for a quick buck. Yeah. And you know, if you pay them the several thousand dollars that they want, they're happy. But if they get a nasty letter from an attorney, they are real quick to walk away. That's great. Well, I think that's a common situation that people run into. And that's where you see a lot of people going with the .co or the .biz or the .net because they don't know that they could actually, if they're you know trying to get the trademark registration, that they don't know that they could actually go after getting that domain name without spending thousands of dollars. Exactly. And I've unfortunately had clients who have spent the thousands of dollars and I'm like, you could have paid me so much less for me to send a nasty letter. <laughs> so two more quick questions before we wrap up. Um, the first question is, most people want to get their business up and running and trademarking takes a while, as you've mentioned. So what do you advise they do in that situation? I still advise that they go through the process, especially working with an attorney, of having a formal trademark clearance search done before they get up and running or as soon as possible after they get up and running. Um, An experienced trademark attorney is going to be looking for the same things that the trademark office examiner is looking for. So I mentioned earlier, you can do a search yourself on the trademark office public database But an experienced trademark attorney is going to go to that database and perform many, many different types of searches that you as the average person would probably not do. That attorney is going to be looking for things like the same or similar mark with different spellings. They're going to be looking for the same or similar mark for the same or similar services. So whereas I had that example earlier about tires versus a body shop. Someone who doesn't have experience isn't necessarily going to know what to look for to see what goods and services are similar to each other. You're going to look for sound-alikes, different spellings, different connotations for the same word. You're also going to want to look for other words that have the same meaning. 
So if your mark has mother, my search is going to include mama, mommy, mom, mama spelled with two M's versus just one M, <laughs> like all those kinds of things. My search as an, a trademark attorney will include the federal and state trademark databases because there's also a way to protect trademarks at the state level. I'm going to look at domain name databases, social media, basic internet searches, company name databases, and I'm going to evaluate all of that data before telling you whether or not I think your trademark is protectable. Hopefully, I'm not going to find anything that's terrible. However, if I do find something, hopefully we're early enough in the process where I say, no way, don't use this mark. And if you've done it before you've started offering services or at the very, very beginning, you may need to take that opportunity to go a different route. But you won't know that if you just go out there and start using it without getting a full trademark clearance search done. I also want to say that having an attorney perform the search doesn't guarantee registration, but an attorney who's been doing this for a long time knows what the trademark examiners are looking for. Yeah. So we're performing the same types of searches that they are, and hopefully we're going to find the same types of things that they would. So if we find something that may be problematic, we can advise you on it, or we know that it's out there and we know how we're going to argue against it. I can say with certainty that I have, I haven't done the actual calculations, but I have something like 95% success in my applications, but that's because I take the time to perform the search first and so I know when I'm filing an application, it's most likely to get through. Again, not a guarantee. Of course. But you have more certainty than just filing the application completely blind. That's great. The application process itself takes about 12 months to get to registration. You were asking about what to do in the interim. So you can go ahead and start using your mark at the time that you file the application. And if you've had the clearance search performed, you can use your mark with the knowledge that you have a good mark. Yeah. So even (laughs) though, exactly. So even though it's going to take about a year to actually get the registration finalized, you can still be using the mark in the interim, knowing that the process is moving along smoothly. That's great. So what are some other situations with your brand where you'd want to have an attorney on speed dial? The most common thing that I see is getting that letter out of nowhere or seemingly out of nowhere from someone who says, you're using our mark and we didn't say that you could. Or you're using our copyrighted material and we didn't say that you could. So getting that letter is when I get a lot of phone calls. (laughs) I have people who are often scared. Sometimes it is legitimate, and I can say to the person, I'm sorry, there's nothing that I can do to help you other than respond to them and say, please don't sue us. Please don't try to take lots of money. We will comply with your demands and make changes. And in the best case scenario, I can negotiate a time frame for you to be able to make those changes so that you don't have to make them overnight. And most of the time, if you are cooperative, you will be allowed that time frame six or 12 months to rebrand. But there may not be anything I can do to help you 
in terms of not having to rebrand. So that is obviously an expensive process to have to rebrand and a time-consuming and draining on your business process, which you know because you just went through a rebrand yourself yes. voluntarily. Yes. <laughs> but it's a heck of a lot harder when you're under the gun right. and having to do so at someone else's instruction. Another legal consideration that I always recommend to new businesses is getting a business entity formed at the very beginning. You want to avoid any chance of having your personal assets subject to any liability. And additionally, in addition to forming a business, I also always recommend having an operating agreement or bylaws in place, even if it's just you, because that helps create a separation between the business and the individual, which is another way that you protect your assets from liability. So in terms of the business entity, you're talking about something like an LLC? An LLC or a corporation, absolutely. And an, an attorney and an accountant together can help advise you as to what the best entity is for your business. But don't just rely on the accountant and don't just rely on the attorney because they're <laughs> each going to have different pieces of advice that both combine for what is best for you and your business. Well, that's great. I really appreciate your time today. I know this was a little bit more technical than our normal conversations, but I just think this stuff is so important for us to be aware of when we're thinking about branding and business. Thank you so much for having me. This is so much fun to talk about. I'm total legal nerd, um, <laughs> but I'm, it's, it's what I love, what I do. I get to work with businesses that are getting started. I get to be on the front end of it, which is absolutely amazing. Getting to talk about it and get recorded on a podcast is even better. So where can people find you? Well, you can find my firm website, which is in the midst of its own redesign at sellersairs.com. That's S-E-L-L-E-R-S-A-Y-E-R-S.com. Or you can search for me on LinkedIn under Karen S. Boardman. And we'll put the links in the show notes. Awesome. Well, thanks so much, Karen. Thanks, Lisa. Subscribe to the Branding BFF podcast to stay connected to more behind-the-scenes conversations about branding and business. We also welcome your rating and review on iTunes, so we know what you enjoyed and more people can find us.